You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Press release, October 23rd, 2000. Idaho State University researcher coordinates analysis of body imprint that may belong to a Sasquatch. Pocatello, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, associate professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University, is a member of the scientific team examining a plaster cast of what may be the first documented body imprint of a Sasquatch. The imprint of what appears to be a large animal's left forearm, hip, thigh, and heel was discovered September 22nd in a muddy wallow near Mount Adams in southern Washington state by the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization expedition in the Gifford Pinchot National Forest. The investigating team, including Meldrum, Dr. Grover Krantz, retired physical anthropologist from Washington State University, Dr. John Bindernagel, Canadian wildlife biologist, John Green, retired Canadian journalist and author, and Dr. Ron Brown, exotic animal handler and healthcare administrator, all examined the cast and agreed it cannot be attributed to any known Northwest animal and may represent an unknown primate. They call it the Skookum cast, and we'll be wallowing in it on this episode of Monster Talk. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm your host, Blake Smith. Together with Ben Radford, managing editor of Skeptical Inquirer magazine, and Dr. Karen Stalzno, skeptical researcher, writer, and host of Point of Inquiry, we discuss monsters and the facts behind the legends. Today, we're talking about the Skookum cast. Our guest is Daniel Perez, and we'll be talking with him about the details behind this piece of evidence, which some say shows the imprint of a large North American primate. In the year 2000, there existed a television show called Animal X. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, which we usually refer to as the BFRO, went on an expedition into the forests of Washington State looking for the creature known as Bigfoot. With the TV crew of Animal X in tow, they searched high and low for proof that Bigfoot was more than a legend. Days into the expedition, with the shoot nearly over, they found something. An unknown animal had sat down in a mud wallow and eaten some of the bait they had set out. But the animal was gone. Yet there in the wallow was an impression, something they could take a cast of. But this was no mere footprint, Bigfoot's traditional calling card. No, this was a full-body impression. It had hairs, dermatoglyphics, and the researchers proclaimed it was the body cast of a Bigfoot. It's 2011 now, and the BFR website still has the original press release and proclaims the findings of the original researchers. The imprint was not attributable to any recognized animal species. The imprint was most likely made by a living Sasquatch. But was it? 
Today, we interview Bigfoot researcher Daniel Perez and find out why he wrote an article titled, Skookum Hokum. Monster Talk. Tonight, we're going to discuss the Skookum cast. Tell me, Ben, I think you've, you've actually had some experience, where, or uh, maybe you were denied some experience with this sexual uh, artifact. You want to give us a little bit of an overview about what the Skookum cast is and uh, why it's important in Bigfootery? Absolutely. Glad you asked that. The Skookum cast, it was, at least at the time, considered to be the best evidence uh, for Bigfoot short of the Patterson-Gimlin film from 67. It is a, a large uh, imprint found in the mud by the, B, uh, the BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, on September 22nd, 2000. Again, it was considered like the big thing, and it made the news, and everyone was making a big production out of it, especially the BFRO. Could I ask, did, were they going in search of Bigfoot at the time, or was it by serendipity that they came across this? That's an excellent question. In fact, Daniel Perez is going to talk a little bit about the background, but I'll, I'll just sort of flesh out a little bit. The, the BFRO was in this area, the Skookum Meadows in Washington uh, State, I believe it was, uh, along with a TV show called Animal X, which is no longer on the yeah. air. Uh, but it was it was part of a, this of this whole TV series. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm I uh, I have the original account from the BFRO. I'm just going to read it to you uh, a little excerpt from it because it, it's actually pretty interesting. This happened I think on the last day or the second to last day of this expedition. They were out there for for several days. I don't know exactly how many off the top of my head, but several days, and uh, they had all sorts of equipment, an, an amazing array of, of, uh, of equipment, sort of like this stuff you see for, for ghost hunter folks. Here's an excerpt from the BFRO's uh, account of that. Friday, 22 September 2000. Uh, and there's on scene were Matt Moneymaker, uh, Bambanek, Fish, Lemley, Lee, Mort, Noel, uh, Powell, Pugsley, Randalls, Terry, and, C- and Searle. So I guess there are uh, seven or eight people there. It says, activities, check and monitor fruit placement, kind of fruit eaten, determine tracks and visitation cache locations. Broadcast Sasquatch calls around midnight. Every person stays at base camp. Use boombox to broadcast tapes of children playing and baby crying. Place additional fruit and peanuts at baiting sites. So, again, you, you sort of get a, a feel for what they were doing. They, were, they had a boombox of children playing, which is somehow supposed to attract Sasquatch, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> they must eat children. I guess. Uh, well, I, it's frankly probably better than used uh, tampons, which uh, they'd used previously. Um, and, and, uh, and, well, you yeah. know, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently you, you haven't been on any expeditions lately, Karen. Uh, different kinds. <laughs> so I so, could be unwittingly uh, attracting them every month. Right. <laughs> <laughs> observations and results so here's here's what they said this is the this is the key part of of uh, the next morning when they found it fish Noel, and randalls leave camp near 9 a.m to check bait sites fruit gone from gravel pit bank still present in wet area of gravel pit fruit gone from roadside mud site has fruit missing three out of six apples gone melon pecked by birds probably ravens all tracks in mud include elk deer bear coyote the most obvious fresh tracks were coyote and undetermined deep marks. Noel, Randalls, and Fish noticed an unusual impression in the transition mud at the edge of the muddy pool area. The three trackers discussed the strange imprint, then suddenly it dawns what animal caused it. Fish and Randalls note the shock on Noel's face. Each tracker comes closer to have another look. Discussions follow for two to three minutes. The three observe and note various parts of the impression, and the chunks of chewed apple apparently spewed about over the imprint. Base camp is alerted. Everyone comes to see the impression. All conclude the animal sat down at the edge of the mud, then leaned down on its left forearm and reaching over out over the soft mud to grab the fruit with its right hand, a distance of about three feet. The group discusses the possible reasons why the animal might have done this, instead of simply walking into the wet mud to grab the fruit, as other animals may have done. One possible explanation is immediately apparent. The animal did not want to leave tracks. The mud site is within earshot of our camp. If the animals had been generally circling our camp for the, pa- for the past few nights, they would have walked past or near this mud site more than once. Just a, just a quick question. Is, is that actually a, a, a known behavior for any animal? That it, that it won't want to leave track. <laughs> I, I'm, it's a very I'm, conscious thing to do. Yeah. Just, you, you would think. Well, well, it, it's, they talk about this in just a second. Okay. 
It's not a stretch to think this rather intelligent primate species would not want to leave its distinctive tracks at a spot where hunters would likely pass by. And then it concludes by saying, I, I, I'm, I'm omitting some parts of this, but this, these are the relevant parts. Several experienced Sasquatch field researchers in the group noted they had likely seen this behavior before. Track patterns suggesting the animals did not want to leave obvious tracks behind. Relatively consistent avoidance of soils that would have left the most clear track impression. So that's sort of a, a highlight of, of the, uh, the, the BFRO's um, basically journal log uh, regarding finding the scoop and cast on uh, September 22nd, 2000. So many questions. Yeah, I mean, I, I there are a couple that immediately jumped to my mind uh, when I heard about this. The first one was that um, the, the track itself is uh, it's about three and a half feet uh, by five feet. So the impression itself is approximately 15 square feet. Uh, so the, the, the track itself is approximately 15 square feet wide um, in, in diameter. And yet uh, they make a big deal about the fact that it somehow didn't want to leave tracks <laughs> which i Bit find of an inconsistency. bizarre yeah i mean i on you know they, they <laughs> they're sitting here explaining well clearly this animal didn't want to leave any any you know any any impressions or tracks that it was there and yet this giant 15 square foot <laughs> track is somehow much larger than usual yeah yeah that's that that, that i thought was kind of bizarre. well I mean, it is bizarre i mean to consider that it doesn't want to leave tracks when isn't Bigfoot's signature move? I mean, isn't the reason we call it Bigfoot because of its enormous tracks? Yeah, not big arm. Right. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean that's how we know of Bigfoot at all is the mm. tracks. Right. That's actually a good point. I you might want to bring that up with the the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. I'm not sure if they're aware of that. I will continue um, my correspondence with them. See how it goes. Yeah. You might. You might. You might check them out. Uh, I have to say that that um, that I was one of the things that really jumped out at me, uh, having a background in psychology, was uh, the way in which they talked about how one uh, says that Fish and Randall uh, saw it, and Rick Knoll saw it, and each one came closer, and the three of them talked about it, um, and it's 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 a classic case of you know one person influencing another uh, another person and another person. It's sort of like you know pareidolia, where someone says, "Hey, do you see that face in the clouds?" and there are people like. Yeah, I see that. Um, hearing something in EVPs. Exactly, exactly. So that was that. So the the and and that's outlined. I mean, right there in their own notes. I mean, it's it's just remarkable how I can totally picture these guys sitting around here saying, "Oh well, look, you know, that could be a heel mark." And well, you know, if it sat down there, that could be its butt. And um, um, you know, I can I can see how exactly how that that sort of whole thing might have developed. It is a strange oh. conclusion to Go reach. Ahead. Yeah, well, they they were looking for Bigfoot and they found this ginormous uh, impression on the last day. Uh, well, <laughs> but but I mean, I also remember if I and I could be misremembering, but I, it seems like in Jeff Meldrum and uh, well, it's not really his documentary, but the uh, they made a documentary to go along with his book. And in that documentary, I seem to remember some specialists, scientists saying that that. Um, Anatomists looking at it and, and saying they recognized a heel impression, um, and, and you know that it, it looked like a primate. Right. And I think that Jimmy Chilcutt uh, was actually one of the people that, that examined it. Who, of course, Jimmy, we talked we talked with, um, uh, in, in the previous episode, and I think that Daniel Perez is going to talk on that as well. But you're certainly right in in the case of um, if you look at uh, Jeff Meldrum's book Sasquatch. Um, I have it right here on page 113. He says, he says, uh, one by one, they eliminated the most likely potential candidates, deer, elk, bear, and coyote, and eventually came to the realization that the only other large, hairy animal remaining with the bulk and requisite anatomy was Sasquatch. Uh, and then he follows this up on page 119, quote, these comparisons, combined with consultation by professional gamekeepers, ruled out elk as a possible candidate for the imprint. End quote. So Jeff Meldrum, uh, who certainly is, is uh, you know, fairly knowledgeable about anatomy um, in, in other aspects, he seems to conclusively say that, uh, that elk has been ruled out as a potential uh, candidate for making this. That's interesting because uh, it seems like I remember um, um, a, a lot of people 
suggesting that it's just an elk wallow uh, where the mm-hmm. elk would lie down and uh, relax and cool in the mud or whatever. So, hmm. I really well, have, I, yeah, yeah, I don't want to spoil the... <laughs> but that doesn't rule out many other animals anyway. I guess we have a lot of questions for Daniel. Right. Uh, it's my understanding. Again, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to steal any thunder from from Daniel. But uh, but it's my understanding that there were in fact some hairs uh, that were found. I'll let him address that. Uh, the main thing I, I seem to remember about the hairs was that uh, that even though there were hairs, that the entire thing was was too contaminated. I mean, there were even human hairs on there. Mm. Um, but the the other anyway. So I, I first came about this, and I was uh, I was asked to comment on this, and I, I did some research on it, and. Of course, being um, the the most important evidence for Bigfoot uh, since 1967, I of course wanted to see this the Skookum cast, uh, and I contacted Matt Moneymaker, the, the head of the BFRO, to ask permission to to see the cast uh, because I was going to actually be going to uh, um, Washington State, and now I figured as long as I'm there, I can go and see it, and I was refused um, uh, refused permission to see it several times, in fact. Um, we went back and forth, and uh, why? Why did they refuse? Well, uh, Moneymaker claimed that I did not, uh, I was not qualified to to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to see it, um, and uh, which was an interesting, <laughs> interesting statement. I said, uh, in fact, um, his his what he was trying to get at was that uh, I did not have a a degree in uh, primate anatomy, and I pointed out that neither did he. And in fact, many of the experts that, that had already commented on it, his experts, uh, many of them by that criterion weren't qualified either. Um, and so we we had this sort of back and forth, and in it, it was it was just remarkable to me because um, you know of course that's not how science works. Uh, in science, if you have evidence, especially evidence that you're claiming is really good evidence and you know definitive evidence and really hardcore stuff, um, then you don't hide it. You don't try to keep other people from looking at it. You share it, and you you invite criticism and peer review. And mm-hmm. so what, what struck me was that Moneymaker's attitude throughout the entire process was completely uh, completely against uh, open inquiry, uh, scientific investigation, wanting other other viewpoints. Um, and so anyway, that the matter ended it there. I mean, to my you know, as far as I knew, he owned the cast, and he could he could uh, he could deny me permission to see it, and so. I actually ended. ended uh, I actually did end up uh, seeing it and examining the cast at a um, at a conference in Idaho a few years back uh, when I met uh, Matt Crowley and and Jeff Meldrum when I was speaking at a Bigfoot uh, conference up there. And so I did finally have a chance to to look at it pretty closely. Uh, the 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 current owner Rick Knoll had no had no real problems with me looking at it, unlike Matt Moneymaker. So. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's you know it, it's interesting. I mean, you know, in terms of as far as you know, big casts of amorphous things go. I guess. How big um, is it? How big is it? Uh, it's approximately fifteen square feet. It's um, I'm trying how, to think of how. How did they get it? it out of the woods? Uh, they had they had a lot a lot of uh, plaster of Paris, as I recall. The uh, in the in the in the field notes, the BFRO talks about having just bags and bags and bags of of casting stuff. Um, I mean, just casting it alone was was sort was you know an achievement. I, I have to yeah. give them credit for that. No, that's an impressive thing to make it and then get it out of the woods without breaking it. Yeah, was oh, yeah. it in pieces at all, or is it it's just one piece? I that's a good question. I I think they may have taken out it in pieces, but I, I'm not sure. So anyway, that in a nutshell, that's 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 a, a chunk of my my experience in dealing with the uh, with the Skookum cast. Monster dog. Tonight, we're going to talk to Daniel Perez, who is a cryptozoologist and the editor and publisher of Bigfoot Times, which is available at BigfootTimes.net. So, Daniel, as an introduction, would you like to talk about how you got involved with the search for Bigfoot? What's your background, that sort of thing? Sure. Uh, it's, it's pretty well known, but we'll say it again for those of it, those listeners who don't know. Is it about the age of 10, I saw a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek. And I guess that was right around 1973 or so. And uh, it just it just hit me like a ton of bricks uh, in the sense that this was completely new. And what little I knew about monsters w- was that everything was mythical in talking about monsters. 
and I had a library card, and so I, I trotted down to the library and uh, started researching these, like, hairy, giant, biped creatures in the United States, and one thing led to another, and that's how my introduction to cryptozoology, or Bigfoot specifically, started. Daniel, when did you first hear about the Skookum cast? The Skookum cast happened September 22nd of 2000. I had just got to Australia. I was there on vacation for the Olympic Games. One of the people from Australia told me that Stephen Piper had just got videotape of the Yowie. And I thought to myself, how convenient. I just happened to be going over and this guy gets <laughs> footage of the Yowie. I just said, what the heck? Why don't we investigate? And so I talked to the people that I knew over there, specifically Tony Healy and Paul Cropper. And I said, can we uh, see if we could interview this guy and go to the, to the site? And then while I was there in Australia, I visited various cities. I stood with Paul Cropper a couple of days at his residence, and he works for, I guess, a telephone company, and he had, in 2000, like, I want to say, a T1 connection on his internet or something like that, and this thing was blazing fast. So he could just move through uh, the internet in the year 2000, 11 years ago, just like you can today, but back then. And he pulls up something. He says, oh, they found this in Washington State, the Skookum whatever. I don't think they called it the Caston, but something about they found a, a body print of a Bigfoot, blah, blah, blah. And so we were real excited looking at it on the Internet. And I said, wow. I said, I, first thing I, I think I said was, had I been back in the United States, I probably would have went straight up from Los Angeles up to Washington State to investigate firsthand because the way it was trumpeted on the Internet, it sounded compelling and interesting. So I was excited about the whole thing, and I said, wow, this could be a big break. Well, could I ask as well, what cities did you visit in search of the Yowie? Did you go to the Blue Mountains? I was in the Blue Mountains, and they also took me, I forget the fellow's name, but this fellow had a sighting, he had a beard, and he took me through the Blue Mountains, and then he showed me the Three Sisters. And then he showed me various locations in the Blue Mountains 11 years ago, so a lot of this I forgot. Mm -hmm. I stood a good chunk of the time in Sydney, and then I went to, I'm probably saying it wrong, Canberra. Canberra. Where I stood there. <laughs> yeah, I stood there as well, and that was the... That was like the resting spot to go out to see Steve Piper, who got the footage, and I can't remember exactly, the Brindabella Snowy Mountains is where this footage was shot. So Canberra was the closest place to get out to that area. So I guess I was up and down on the coast there uh, mm -hmm. in between the Olympics, and it was just a really exciting time. Well, Daniel, can you uh, can you give our listeners sort of a summary of the circumstances of, of how the BFRO found the cast? Ten years after the event, I thought it would be interesting in the Bigfoot Times to interview some of the principals that were involved with the Skookum cast. And Derek Randalls, who lives in Washington State, was one of the principals, was one of the finders of the Skookum cast, along with the late... Dr. Leroy Fish, and Rick Knoll. So you can't inter interview Leroy Fish. Uh, Knoll was not participating in the interview, but Derek Randall said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do the interview. And we were able to get an interview. And basically, let's condense the story, is they were sitting around the campfire one night, and this is in a book called The Locals by Tom Powell. And according to Tom, and there doesn't seem to be anyone arguing the point, that they weren't having any success on this quote-unquote expedition in finding anything. There were, prior to this, some strange sounds that were heard that were attributed to Bigfoot in the immediate vicinity. So one night, Tom said, well, why don't we try baiting and use some apples in a certain location, which is 
they want to you want to say it's an elk wallow, but actually it's basically like a turnout on the side of a dirt road where the dirt road just gets a little bigger and it's still all dirt. There was one area specifically where it was a little muddy, and they just figured that in this muddied area, call it wallow if you will, elk wallow or whatever, or just a muddy area, they decided to put the bait, which was the apples, very late at night. And in the morning time, they came by and noticed that the apples were missing. At first, it really didn't sink in, and it was later that they realized that, hey, the big guy, not a big elk, but Bigfoot, had been here, and this is very important, and they all got very excited about this imprint. And so I guess that was between September 21st and 22nd, if the casting was collected on the 22nd. So I guess it was the night before that they put the bait and they got the response. Okay, and, and this was just, just to clarify, but this was part of it, this was part of an official BFRO expedition, or what was the what To was my the knowledge, it How many was, people were there? And, and to my knowledge, is that an Australian television group that was doing a show, I guess, called Animal X, was participating with this group. And it's rumored, and I, I want to clarify this because there's no paper trail. It's rumored that Matt Moneymaker said, well, since these people are here, Animal X from Australia, that we got to give them a show. So a lot of people think that the Skookum casting, the apparent Bigfoot body casting, was contrived or hoaxed or faked or whatever you want to call it. That, again, is rumor. There's no paper trail. And uh, it is convenient or it is interesting or suspicious that such an event of this caliber did happen when they were there that, oh, you know, here they have this television production company doing this documentary and they find this uh, enormous finding. So that's that's how things happen. What was your uh, first impression of the find? I, well, I, lo- I look back. It's uh, The Bigfoot Times has been published since January of 1998 to the present time. And so of all the paper publications that are actually mailed out to subscribers and members, this, the Bigfoot Times, to my knowledge, is the only substantial newsletter that's still standing. Back in 2000, the Internet was just coming to being, and there was a lot of other paper newsletters, but all of them fell by the wayside. So I look back at some of the earlier issues that in the year 2000, I think by October or November of 2000, we had already did a summary of what happened at the Skookum Meadows or that particular area in the Gifford Pinchot National Forest. And it was more summary than opinion stating that, okay, these people found this apparent Bigfoot body casting and this is this is what all these people are saying uh, of what it is. And I, I really said, okay, I, I, I didn't investigate firsthand and it looks good and I think by 2000, by 2003, September 2003 in Willow Creek, California, Rick Knoll at the International Bigfoot Symposium actually brought the Skookum cast, the original. And I looked at it, and I probably spent about 15 minutes looking at it, and I was just saying to myself, I'm saying, well, I'm not impressed by this at all because it, it was like looking at an inkblot. You could see whatever you want. And so... There was a little bit of skepticism, but I didn't know a whole lot about the matter in terms of talking to the principals like Derek Randall or or getting deeper into the matter. I had a little bit of skepticism, but I was open. Fair enough. And Daniel, have you worked with the BFRO? No, I'm not a member of the BFRO or I don't really have anything to do with them. I'm just an independent investigator and uh, I've been around far longer than that organization. In, indeed you have, and, and let me just say that I, I find a lot of your stuff fairly credible, you know, given, especially, and don't take this the wrong way, but given the, the general tenor of, and the quality of the, the Bigfoot research that's out there, I think you know what I mean, um, I've found the Bigfoot Times to be usually pretty reliable. Yeah, I, I, I like to say the Bigfoot Times is the Wall Street Journal of Bigfooting. I mean, we try, <laughs> we try to really get it right, get it straight the first time. 
and when in, when we have the opportunity to talk with people that are firsthand that are relevant to the situation, we try to interview those people. Such was the case in September of 2010, 10 years after the event, and our lead article was 10 years later, the Skookum Cast, and in that was an interview with uh, Derek Randalls. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask. Let me go back to the, the cast itself. Did you were you allowed to examine the cast uh, or the site where it was found, or what? Uh, what have you done with the cast itself? Well, when I all I did was look at the cast in September of 2003, and in terms of examination, all I could say there was really no place to start because you didn't know what you were looking at. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like they said, well, this is this is the heel, or this is the thigh, this is the buttocks. Here's where a hand slid out, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just said, I thought to myself in my own mind, I'm saying, well, what have you been smoking? Because you could <laughs> see anything there. It's just like a dog, right. could have, a dog, a cat, an elk, a, a mountain lion. It's just the, the possibilities of what it represented were endless. And I said, I said, if this is Bigfoot, I want to see a Bigfoot track in there. You know what I'm saying? Something that... definitely ties it to make the case. So here's the way I look at it in summary fashion. We know for a fact that an elk was there. There's there's not a person on the planet that is intelligent about the situation or the matter that would argue that case. There's no doubt that an elk was in that immediate vicinity and that there was tons of elk hair that was cleaned away from the casting and so there's no there's no question that there was an elk there. Whether there was a Bigfoot there, if Bigfoot exists, we have no evidence whatsoever. And perhaps the most damaging thing of all came from Dr. Henner Fehrenbach, who's retired now, but he was once at the Oregon Regional Primate Research Center. So he did not know in advance that I was going to do the September and October edition of the Bigfoot Times newsletter cover almost exclusively the Skookum cast. He did not know this in advance. So I asked him about the matter, and this is what he says 10 years later, which is extremely damaging to the whole case. And this is via email, August 29, 2010, Dr. Wolf Henner-Fehrenbach, It's very short, and I'll read it. He says, The Skookum story is a long way in the past, and all I remember is that the one or two hairs that came to me from it had no compelling value. I don't even remember if it came out as Sasquatch hair, but I dimly remember that it didn't. In any case, my Sasquatch hair collection, which contains only what I consider authentic examples, does not contain the Skookum case. Interesting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. And so, to me, that is the only physical thing, because the hair would be from the animal itself, that 
would be that would tie that casting to a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot. And here, Henry Fehrenbach, who was sent the hairs by way of mail or in person by uh, by Dr. Jeff Meldrum, says that there's nothing in my collection that from the Skookum cast because whatever they gave me, I, I didn't consider it of any value. And so this is, you interview the individual 10 years after the case when, when the red hot coals have died down and, you know, uh, it all comes out in the wash. After a while, you can kind of see like, you know, sooner or later, the truth is going to bubble up. And so I think I consider this statement probably the single most damaging thing from a qualified doctor against the Skookum cast. I noticed that Dr. Jeff Meldrum in his book, Sasquatch Legend Meets Science, um, talked about the Skookum cast and said that they ruled out the possibility of elk as having made the cast. What, what do you make of that? Well, that's just it. They did. And if you look at the book, there's, there's only a, a, not really a substantial section. There's only a brief section about the Skookum cast. And he doesn't even name names of who these people were that were the elk experts or the experts saying that this is not elk or whatever. So you could follow up to say like, okay, let's take it a step further and talk to these people. I don't understand how they could say they ruled out an elk. It's just like everyone that is a non-doctorate who's just a quote-unquote a Bigfooter or as Meldrum says, an amateur investigator, that was the first suspect is an elk. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like we were all baffled that how could he get so excited over something that we thought was nothing to begin with? I, I did notice that uh, he didn't specify by what methodology they had, had done the exclusion. That, that, that is apparent. I want to I want to stop you for a moment and backtrack. When the cast was collected, Jeff Meldrum flew in or drove in, whatever the case may be, to actually go see the casting within days at Derek Randall's home in Washington State. And according to Derek Randall's, he spent several days cleaning it up, looking at it, analyzing, taking notes. And disregard his book for the moment, Sasquatch Legend Meets Science, uh, earlier, he published a scientific paper that was published in a scientific journal that had something to do with Bigfoot track. Anyone might wonder, why did he not publish a scientific technical paper on the Skookum cast as opposed to popular literature that you find in Sasquatch Legend Meets Science, regardless of whether that paper was going to be published or not? That's something that the community of uh, the Bigfoot community could have looked at online or whatever the case may be to say like, Hey, I spent all this time on it. Here is the nuts and bolts, the real detailed notes of what I found. And there's nothing to be found like that. So I'm saying, well, for a person of his caliber that in a way, I think he let us down. That's that you bring up an excellent point. Uh, you know that you know for all the times when you hear a lot of the the Bigfooters, including Meldrum, complain that uh, well, you know why aren't scientists looking at it? Well, here's his chance. I mean, if if he has good evidence and if he's got good arguments, um, here's his chance to get it in the published literature. And apparently, he didn't do it. Yeah, and and they 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 were all riding on high hopes that. Uh, John Green, who's one of the most famous Bigfooters out there, still living in Canada, and Meldrum, they were all riding on high hopes that this was going to be the evidence that would pivot the whole thing, the whole Sasquatch uh, question in a very positive direction, and that the whole North American scientific community would be banging on the door to have a look at this thing, and it just backfired in their face, and it's just like, Nobody really has looked at it. And it's just like it's it's not evocative, it's not provocative, it's not it's not something that jumps out and say says like, you know, this is really important and it's just like I think if it was, people would really be a little more interested in. But for the for the time being it to me it just looks like a series of ink blots. And it's just like if they would come back and say, Well, Mr. Perez, you're not qualified 
to look at the Skookum cast because you're just a, an electrician by trade. You have no qualification. So my comeback to them would be, well, why don't you publish a very technical paper with illustrations so you can show all the dumb people or the non-qualified people everything that you see in this cast that indicates it is what you say it is. Big. I was in the same boat as you. I don't know if you know or not, but I was. I actually had asked to see the, the Skookum cast. I had requested that from Matt Moneymaker, and I also was denied access to it. I was told that I was not qualified. Um, he didn't specify what exact qualifications the, those would be, but uh, he was, they were, at least in my dealings with them, they were, they were very, very touchy about making sure that only their hand-picked experts <laughs> were going to be dealing with it. Yeah, and that's the trouble. It's just like they're only looking just, it's exactly like you said, only their hand-picked experts that are going to tell them exactly what they want to hear uh, is are the people that they're going to bring, bring in. It's anyone that's going to come in to look at the Skookum cast that has the quote-unquote qualifications that the BFRO wants or Moneymaker wants that... Uh, they're only going to pick the people that are going to say, like, yes, it's Bigfoot. And so when we published September and October of 2010, they, they were very angry about the whole thing, that this whole thing, uh, after we finished with the October edition of the Bigfoot Times, which also covered the Skookum cast, uh, Derek Randall shot off an email to me. He says it. He says, it looks like your agenda-driven newsletter was exactly what you wanted. Don't contact me anymore because in the second edition, we kind of entertained the people who were skeptical about it. So first, we gave him the whole September edition to hear his voice. And in the next issue, we wanted to hear the voice of the people who were skeptical about the issue. But when that came out, it's just like uh, Derek Randall said, oh, your, there's your agenda. Don't talk to me anymore. So it's just like you can't make anyone happy. We've previously interviewed uh, the fingerprint expert, Jimmy Chilcott. Did he examine the cast at all? And if so, did he to, find any prints? To my, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, I may be corrected later on, but to my knowledge, uh, Chilcott has not done any sort of examination, forensic examination on that casting he may have said that there are some quote-unquote dermatoglyphics to be seen in there, and it's just like, there again, it's just like, are we looking at dermal ridges, like the fingerprint whorls or that you see on people's hands and feet, or are we looking at just a hair pattern from an elk? And so it's just like, I'm not sure exactly where Jimmy Chilcutt is on the Skookum cast, but I do know for a fact that he was there in September of 2003 in Willow Creek, California, and had an opportunity to see that thing in person. I was just checking. Uh, a lot of times the Bigfoot forums on the uh, Randy site have good information. And they said that uh, in an interview, um, Chilcutt did get a chance to look at it, and he said he examined the Achilles heel or two parts of the heel, and even though there wasn't a lot of ridge detail, the flow pattern was the same as the others. It was the same type of animal. Anyway, uh, so apparently he did at least uh, make, he's commented on it in at least one interview. So Yeah, okay, fair enough. You know, in, in my dealings with this whole thing and the Skookum cast, you know, being around for a decade now, there's one thing that, that that's, there's been a couple things that have really puzzled me, but one of them is this. Did the BFRO ever explain how some large animal, whether it's an elk or a bear, Bigfoot or something else, whatever it was, managed to walk into an area that was specifically baited by the BFRO near their camp, leave a 15-square-foot imprint, uh, all without being seen recorded by all this equipment? How, how, how did that happen? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a baffling mystery, and it's just like they had, what's the word they use, trail cams? Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't, they didn't call them trail cams in the day, but people that are hunters... Maybe they didn't have digital trail cams, but they had film trail cams. If they put a baited area, why didn't they have a camera ready, you know, a trip camera? And it's just, again, it gets down to, uh, as, as one person experimented, Patrick Beaton, who we entertained in the November edition of the Bigfoot Times, 
he said he went to the beach and he said he pretended that he was the Sasquatch and he tried to get into a certain area, the, the, the dimensions of the Skookum cast, to try to get down there like they said this thing did and to get up and walk away. And he said there was no instance that I could do it without leaving a footprint or a handprint. And so, but, but, but then you're asked to believe specifically by the BFRO and those people who entertained the Skookum cast, you're asked to believe that this thing got there and left without leaving a footprint or a handprint. Yeah, I, I, it just baffles me. I mean, the, the BFRO touts itself as being so scientific and they have all this gear, tens of thousands of dollars of equipment. And to be honest with you, it, it, it just baffles my mind. It, ju- it just seems like if it is, in fact, a, a Bigfoot, it, that's it's it's staggering incompetence. I mean, if to 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 to, to if, I mean, just I just I just baffled by this. I mean, either these people are so incompetent that they can't put a camera where they baited something, and 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 figure out what what ate it. I mean, really, it's like yeah, amateur. I, hour. Exactly, and I I don't consider the BFRO a scientific organization. I consider them a political mm-hmm. organization. And it's 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 more. They're Same trying problem. to look good in the public eye, and they're trying to make statements that appeals to a broad bunch of people. And and they're I think very deceptive. When this matter, when Penn and Teller made this bogus uh, videotape of a Bigfoot with a man in a suit. Moneymaker was there on the BFRO, said, well, we've seen footage of Bigfoot before, and this has all the telltale marks of it, and this was posted on the BFRO site. And then as soon as Moneymaker found out that he was had by Penn & Teller, the magicians, all of that stuff got yanked off the BFRO uh, pages. And it's just like, and it's just instead of leaving it there for everyone to laugh or for Moneymaker to be embarrassed by, he just blanked it out completely. So it's a political organization because he wants to look knowing all the time as opposed to being a goofball. Ten years on, where does this cast stand as evidence? I mean, who's still behind, who, who still supports it? Um, there, I'm sure there's a lot of people, uh, notably Dr. Jeff Meldrum, uh, Rick Knoll, who's an investigator in Washington State, Derek Randall's, uh, but as Randall says, uh, in fact, here's part of the interview I did with him, and he responds. He says, I've always tried to keep the Skookum cast in perspective. To me, the cast is a special time in my life. I think I know what it is and what it represents, but there is absolutely no way to tell for sure. And this is one of the people that discovered it. I'm pretty darn sure of what it is. Uh, but there is no, no way to prove anything. In all reality, it's a chunk of plaster and hydrocal. Does it put us into the next chapter? No, it's a piece of plaster. It's really cool, but it doesn't prove anything. That is coming directly from someone who discovered this imprint in the ground. Who's come out to say that it is an elk wallow? I mean, what, what experts have weighed in on that? Well, the most, the most... Uh, notable, I can't even think of his name, Dr. Anton Robleski, I think is his name. And and he's not an elk expert. He is a person who has an avid interest in the outdoors and an avid interest in uh, observing animals. And he says that at one time he observed quite a bit of elk because he lived, lived in a certain part of the country. Uh, but in 2006, I got wind of him by someone who emailed me who said, hey, you got to check this out on the Bigfoot Forum's discussion site on the Internet. There's this guy who's saying that, you know, the Skookum cast is, is simply an elk. And, and so one thing led to another. So in 2006, I phoned him, did an interview with him, uh, asked him what his opinion was because I felt that he had a little more expertise on the matter than anyone that I knew. And he just said, he says, this, he says, plain and simple, this is an elk. And he says, uh, there's nothing to get excited about. And he kind of reviewed the circumstances, how this whole thing came about. And it was his opinion that everyone got too excited too fast without 
really doing any homework. They wanted to go public with it too fast. And uh, instead of, uh, you know, within less than a month, they had a publicity release or shortly after a month. They said they should have just hung on to it if it was a very significant piece and continued to study it where there was no doubt. And it's just like when it was released, there was a lot of people excited and then the skepticism started to set in. And, and as, of, as of 2011, I'm, I'm open-minded to the matter, but if I were to be a betting individual, I would say absolutely the Skookum cast represents an elk, nothing more, nothing less, and that it was just a, a mistake that was made and the top person of the mistake would be Dr. Meldrum, that he had his university put out this press release, and because it came from a university with a doctorate behind it, that's what made subsequent publications find it more credible, when in fact, I don't think there was anything to it to begin with, and it's just, you know, it was just an elk, and they thought it was a Bigfoot, and so I guess New Scientist, I think, which is a publication from Europe, went ahead and did a piece on it, and so did several other well-known magazines. It seems this irony in the fact that if this really is the cast of a Bigfoot, it's yielded little or no evidence about Bigfoot. If this incredible find is genuine, do you think that it would have provided some tangible evidence to work from? Zero. And in fact, what, what they consider to be the tendon the Achilles and the heel is I would question that too. I'm saying, are you sure that is from a primate and not from uh, an elk from one of its joints? And it's just like I was told by John Green via email that they covered that issue in Monster Quest. And it's just like uh, Monster Quest, which is put out by Doug Hycheck, they're they're not a scientific organization. They're an entertainment group, and they're mm-hmm. they're they're not going to go out and. Uh, I don't think they're going to say, okay, it's an elk. They're gonna they're gonna tell you what is the most entertaining uh, option conclusion is, which saying it, it's it's a bigfoot, and it's just like, I would like to see, you know, a qualified elk expert, someone who's an expert at elk with a name behind him. Uh, to come out and take study this thing. And it's just like Dr. Anton Robleski, I apparently wanted to go out and see the original, and apparently they denied access to him. Interesting. Because they found out beforehand that his opinion of it, to begin with, was not very positive. Well, and once again, we see we see the the BFRO and those who control the the cast uh, being very very selective in, in who they allow to to look at it, which again is just profoundly unscientific. But well, it's um, interesting because that you should say that because the cast as a physical possession is owned by Rick Knoll, Derek Randalls, and the estate of Dr. Leroy Fish, would, meaning that his widow uh, is a third owner in this thing. But the latest scenario is that Rick Knoll has the cast in his possession at his home in Edmonds, Washington, and that uh, Derek Randalls at one time was very upset because he kind of got cut out in terms of the ownership or having access to it. And so Derek Randall explained in the newsletter, the Bigfoot Times, that he says we had a very deep falling out over it. But he said he's over it. But let's just put it this way. Had the Skookum cast been an iPhone in 2003 and made millions of dollars, I don't think that his attitude of I'm over it would be the same. He would have his attorneys there, where's my share? <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Let me ask, what's, uh, aside from the Skookum cast, what's your opinion, what, in your opinion, is the best evidence for Bigfoot's existence? I mean, if, if, if we can probably agree that certainly the Skookum cast is not, would you hang your hat on the Patterson-Gimlin film, or what would you, what would you say is, is well, the best? Worldwide, worldwide, I would say, number one, the Patterson-Gimlin film, for a couple of reasons. One, we have two witnesses. One is now deceased. We have a film of the subject. We have a film of the foot tracks that were left behind. We have 
tracks that were seen in the ground and cast by the late Bob Titmus about 10 consecutive castings. Uh, we have we know for a fact that the, the film site was positively ID'd by a completely independent party who had nothing to do with Bigfooting, Lyle Laverty, who was on the scene. So if the film was shot on October 20th, Lyle Laverty was there Monday, October 23rd, uh, who had seen something in the paper about it and said, oh, I think I know exactly where this happened. And it was back to work Monday. And they went out and they photo documented. He took some slides of the tracks in the ground. And although he said he voiced his skepticism about the film, uh, he said that, uh, I think he said he weighed under 200 pounds at the time, probably still does today. But he said, he said that no time was I able to leave track impressions as deep as what I saw on that sandbar. And so, by far, the runaway piece of evidence, in my view, would be the Patterson-Gimlin film. And then I would probably say probably the Bosford tracks because Rene DeHinden was involved. And then I would probably jump to Australia and say uh, Steve Piper's video, uh, which I found very impressive. And I found I spent several days, no, I spent two days at his, as his residence just trying to find out more about the person who took the video and I found him to be very impressive as a witness, too. Just very matter-of-fact, very straight. And, uh, you know, and he thought, he told me when I interviewed him, uh, he got this, this, this video August 28th of 2000. I was there less than a month later. And he said, yeah, I've heard about the Yowie, and I thought it was all bullshit. And he says, I was, I was down uh, in the... Brenda Bella Snowy Mountains, taking some scenery footage, and he says, I put the camera down in the eucalypt trees, the eucalyptus trees, and he says, I thought this was a roo, as he said, I thought this was a roo, and I said, you mean kangaroo? And he says, yeah, kangaroo. Roo is short for kangaroo. And he says, he says, what the hell is that? That's not kangaroo. And so he, I would consider that a very favorable piece of evidence. So, you know, outside of Bigfoot research, I don't know how many people... Uh, are aware of the ongoing debate about whether or not they're real creatures, should they be killed or captured? Um, well, that's that to me. That's a complete non-issue. Okay, that's and, what I was going to ask and, before you fall and, in the debate. And the the reason I say that that uh, now that this congresswoman got shot in the head in Arizona, the issue of gun control is going to come up again. Blah blah blah, and we find out that the congresswoman is supportive of the Second Amendment, carry guns, blah, blah, blah. And so with regard to the Bigfoot subject, whether if there is something out there, even if there's a law stating that you can't go shoot a Bigfoot, that is not going to stop someone from going out and trying to do so. When you're in the woods, there's no smoky bear or police officer to say, stop, you can't shoot, because there's nobody out there. When you get out in some of these areas, there's nothing out there but woods. So in in terms of that being an issue, I said it's a non-issue because it's just like it's irrelevant because you're not going to stop someone from carrying a gun out in the woods trying to shoot something. Where can people find out more about your work and get copies of Bigfoot Times? Well, the Bigfoot Times, it's we've had the website up for over 10 years and it's just bigfoottimes.net. And so I I think we do a good publication because we have over 800 people that get the newsletter and it's just like it's and there's nobody on the planet that can say that we have this subscription base and that we mail out every month an actual newsletter that goes in the postal mail there's nobody doing that so all I'm saying that I must as an editor and publisher of a newsletter on the Bigfoot topic I must be doing something right because 
these people are coming back for more. Let me just say that uh, having followed, of course, the, the cryptozoology and the Bigfoot stuff, I've seen lots and lots of publications, cryptozoology-related publications come and go. You know, everything from the ISC, uh, the, you know, Greenwell stuff to Ben Roche's stuff. Um, so just the very fact that you're still putting out a, a, on a consistent basis the, the publication is, 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 you know, worthy of note. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I wanted to ask, uh, we ask all our guests, and so I'll, uh, I'll get the final question here. What's your favorite monster? Is it, is it Bigfoot, or do you have a, 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 a other favorite monster? Well, yeah, I would, I would probably have to say that uh, my favorite of all the cryptozoological things out there would probably have to be Bigfoot. And it just happens to be, now that I'm 47, that started at about 10, is I'm comfortable with it because I know a lot about the subject, and then there's there's not a person on the planet that can have a discussion about it without me knowing something, something about what they're talking about when it comes to the subject. Daniel, do you do you think that before you die you'll know an answer to what Bigfoot is? Maybe not, because we've seen. I mean, look at Ivan Sanderson; he's gone. Bob Titmus is gone. Renee DeHinden is gone. Mm-hmm. And Green is to the point where he'll probably expire too shortly. And as Green told me, he says, I'll probably expire before we have an answer to this question. So let's just say for the sake of argument, I live another, another 50 years. And it's just like, it's, uh, I think you're probably better off going to play buy a lotto ticket because it's a formidable problem. It's a, it's a very tough issue. And say, for the sake of argument, if there is no such thing as a species of Bigfoot, then it doesn't matter how hard you look, you'll never find it. Mm-hmm. So I'm open, I'm open both ways to the, to the idea that what we're looking at is completely mythology or what we're looking at is a biological real entity. And so it's just, it would be interesting to have some sort of clear conclusion to the whole matter but at the present time we do not thank you so much for coming on our show we appreciate you talking about the skookum cast with us and sharing your impressions very good well very well put so yeah no 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 problem i appreciate you having me monster dog so a popular skeptical interpretation of the skookum cast is that it was just an elk wallow i tried to get dr jeff meldrum to comment on his current position regarding the cast but he did not reply as of this broadcast if that changes i'll let our listeners know i do happen to have a copy of his book sasquatch legend meets science handy and i'd like to read an excerpt from it eventually careful comparisons to elk imprints were made at multiple game ranches and zoological parks these comparisons combined with consultation by professional gamekeepers ruled out elk as a possible candidate for the imprint The obvious hill imprints and forearm imprints simply could not be accounted for by the anatomy of an elk. Skeptics opine that the hill imprint was simply the mark of a kneeling elk without ever examining the cast itself. A wrist of a 650-pound bull elk was obtained by Rick Knoll, impressed in soft soil and cast. Not only did it fail to measure up to the dimensions of the Skookum hill imprint, it was clearly distinct in shape and pattern of hair. The overall orientations of the hair patterns on the Skookum cast were likewise incongruent with those of an elk. This was made quite evident by comparisons to taxidermy museum mounts. And finally, and perhaps most telling, when an elk rises from repose, it must place its hooves directly under its weight in order to stand, leaving the tracks in the center line of its imprint. Yet there are no elk tracks located in the center of the Skookum imprint, only deep and clear imprints skirting the imprint. Interesting arguments. But a few things stick out in my mind regarding these findings. First, skeptical researchers have not been given free access to the cast for examination. Also, while Meldrum and his fellow researchers were satisfied they'd excluded elk from the candidate animals, elk prints are clearly visible in the casting. Also, and this is kind of tangential, uh, chunks of apple were left at the site but were apparently not collected for any DNA sampling or tooth imprints. I'm not sure why. I could go on. I find the elk explanation very compelling, and there's a very good graphic posted in the show notes which makes easy visual sense of the casting by comparing it to a photo of an elk in repose. Check it out and let us know what you think. You can comment at our Facebook fan page or at skepticforum.com. Links to our Facebook and Twitter accounts are on our website at monstertalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Monster Talk is produced with the generous support of Skeptic Magazine. Be sure to check it out and subscribe to their weekly newsletter, eSkeptic. 
I've added a PayPal button on the Monster Talk page. If you'd like to donate to Monster Talk, you can do it there. Proceeds will be used to buy Monster Research materials and to offset the costs of attending conferences. And remember, every time you donate, a Mothman gets its wings. Music for Monster Talk is by Pete Stilling Monkeys. Thanks for listening. For more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skeptic, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. In the year 2000... This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.